Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Christine Comaford. She's a leadership and culture coach. Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Kevin. It's awesome to be here. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you guys are doing and what we're going to talk about today is something I think kind of I've been probably struggling with my, myself lately. So I'm curious to get your thoughts. And I have my own kind of personal questions that I'm sure will resonate with the listeners as well. But maybe before we get into all that stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. I grew up in both Palos Verdes, California, which is a suburb of Los Angeles, and then also in Greenwich, Connecticut. Okay. So Interesting. Bi-coastal. Nice. Uh, yeah, quite quite different, but uh, both probably <laughs> equally equally nice or cool. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. <laughs> um, very cool. So walk me through, you went to university. What did you take and why? Ah, uh, I went to both UC San Diego and okay. then UC LA. Okay. And I studied a variety of things, but what I really found that I loved most was art history. Talk about and English literature. Talk about really practical. Sure. <laughs> really well, practical majors. <laughs> sure. I, I don't know. I found art history selfishly fascinating as well, and I took some art history I, again. Sure, just for more of a common interest or a personal interest, but. But yeah, so I, I totally get the appeal of it, but walk me through kind of the what exactly did you end up graduating with? Yes. And, yeah. and then getting into the workforce. Yes. Well, I didn't end up graduating. Okay. After three years, I fell in love with computer science. And when I saw that it was going to be three more years of college, I thought, this is dumb. I'm just going to teach myself how to program. Interesting. So, I taught myself how to program. I called up Microsoft. I said, Windows is a great idea. It's a really bad design. If you need it to be a world standard, you need to hire me. And after they finished their laughing fit over the phone, uh, I did ultimately manage to get an interview and a job there. <laughs> but, uh, wait, 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 wait a second. So did you convince them on the same phone call or you kind of just kept no. at it for a bunch of time? No, I, I took a multi-pronged approach. Okay. I submitted my resume, but there weren't very many women there. This was back in the 80s. So I submitted sure. my resume under Chris Comerford because I thought Chris Comerford would have a shot. But Christine Comerford, frankly, probably wouldn't. Interesting. So, yeah. So the recruiter called up and, and asked to speak with Chris because uh, she assumed that I wasn't. Um, and I said, oh, Chris is unavailable, but I can. I have Chris's schedule. I can schedule a time for Chris to meet with you, you know, <laughs> just trying to be very kind of gender neutral. Wow. And then I showed up for the interview and they're like, uh, you're a chick. And I'm like, yeah, want me to crash windows, disassemble the code and show you where the bugs are? Interesting. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, yeah, it wasn't like a totally friendly, female friendly environment, but did change my life. Okay. So walk me through, obviously you've got a job there. Walk me through your career there and, and the few other companies you've been at up until kind of what you're doing now. 
Yes. Um, so I was at Microsoft for a few years, and then um, Microsoft got busted by the IRS and okay. the Employment Development Department providing a ton of contractors that technically looked like employees. Interesting. So, yeah, so they had to make all these people into employees um, and pay all their past payroll taxes or wow. um, have them, which was heinous, right, or have them um, work for somebody else. And I said, hey, I'll, I'll start a company. You guys can all work for me. So we had 35 employees overnight. Wow. And it was a little shocking because one of my first phone calls was to my dad, and the question was payroll. How does it work? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Probably well, probably one of the most important things your employees would think, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, that was my second company. I'd started a, a bank uh, for high net worth individuals when I was 19, the team of people who are much older than me, right? Okay. Um, and that worked out great. So this was this was my second company, technically. Um, and, uh, you, you know, uh, gosh, one thing led to another. We went from you know, working, doing software to doing high-end consulting. And then I built that company up and sold that and the parent company public. And wow. anyway, I've built and sold five of my own companies. I've built seven companies, but I've sold or uh, taken public five. Wow. Um, so my current uh, organization, which I started back in 2010, Smart Tribes Institute, that's where we do all the neuroscience stuff, all the stuff that I've been working on for 41 years. Wow. Hard to believe. Um, and um, it's really around, you know, how do we take the latest neuroscience research, map it to very practical tools that leaders can apply right away to get better performance, to get more employee engagement, to have happier people who perform better and don't burn out. So that's what we do in our leadership and culture coaching and then in our workshops and stuff. Okay. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that because that's a huge, huge topic that I think more and more companies are starting to care about or if they're not caring about it, they really, really should start caring about this stuff. Is that fair uh, to say? Totally, Kevin, especially with unemployment like at such a crazy low. I mean, it's like 3.7%. You know, sure. and the people that don't have a job, sorry to be harsh, you don't really want to hire them. You know, interesting. Okay. <laughs> In well, this climate, the, all you can do is raid from other companies. That's how recruiting works these days. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, how do you work with these companies to actually implement all all these kind of things? Because it's got to be a lot of work, and you have to have buy-in from higher ups or it's just not going to happen fair to say absolutely oh totally 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 um and you it's it, interesting though kevin because you've totally got to have buy-in from many not all because you just don't usually get that luxury right. many of the most influential higher ups and then we need to get the tribal leaders the influencers within the tribe to also support it so we can have that bottom up top down uh, support for these tools sure. and for, you know, communicating in new ways and, you know, structuring a culture in new ways. And, it, you know, it, it takes a while to create what we call a smart tribe where everybody in the company is spending more time in innovation, creativity, engagement versus fear and fight, flight, freeze, which is still pretty darn prevalent. Sure. 
but I'm curious. I, I've heard from a number of people kind of recently that are business owners or startup owners or, or anybody to just get their people to care is one of their biggest hurdles. <laughs> Have you kind of found that or agree with that? Uh, I do. And, and, and here, and and I have, and here's, what's cool though. What's cool is that it's not this hugely challenging thing. Okay. It sounds like it is. How do I get people to actually care? Well, the recipe, there's a recipe for engagement and it's physiological and it is one hormone and two neurotransmitters. When okay. a person is, when their system is flooded with oxytocin, bonding hormone you feel oxytocin when you hug somebody that you love okay or when you're just like okay. really bonding with somebody that you love so oxytocin and then we've got to have some serotonin but what's cool is oxytocin helps fire the neurotransmitter serotonin in the body so now we feel good that's the feel good neurotransmitter and then um, that helps support the firing, the release of dopamine, anticipation of reward. Okay. And so our behaviors start to shift to, to be those where we anticipate we will be rewarded for them, accountability, whatever, right? Performance. Sure. So since we know that we need to fire these uh, or release, help our people release oxytocin, serotonin, and dopamine, we can now look at what cultural programs actually create the physiological release of this hormone and these neurotransmitters, and that's when people care. So just to geek out and get physiological, that's what's happening. Now, just – just a sec though, right? Because that's great that we know the recipe, but how the heck do we create it? Well, for starters though, we've got to understand where people are. Sure. And we've got to take that baseline and we've got to do whatever employee engagement survey people like. There's a bunch of them out there. I prefer ours because I'm biased. And, <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> and it's 10 questions. It's like wicked easy. Three questions on safety, three questions on belonging, three questions on mattering, one question on net promoter. You know, would you recommend to your friends to work here? And in 10 questions, and of course, each each question has a comment field. And in 10 questions, we can understand what the emotional experience is of our people. Then we can go to our latest book, Power Your Tribe. And we can go to Power Your Tribe. We can go to chapter eight and we can go, ah, Based on our scores, here are the cultural programs we need to put in place to get people to care. Interesting. So do you also work with companies then to re-engage people that, for lack of maybe a better term, don't care or, or stop caring and, and yes. try to get them to, to care again? Yes, and you know what? We get, we get disengaged for lots of reasons, sure. right? Unclear directives constantly changing um you know the company's goals or mission um being blindsided by competitors oh, constant change in the marketplace there are so many things that cause us to be disengaged and you know anybody who's in a marriage sure. or a long-term love relationship has gone through phases of disconnection feeling disengaged it's the same thing at work and so the leaders, though, need to notice. That's why we like doing this uh, safety, belonging, mattering index. That's the 10-question survey. We like doing that every uh, – it, it depends, every 6 to 12 months based on the company because you've got to do the survey, but then you've got to roll out the programs, and then you've got to see how the programs land, right? right? Then you do the survey again because you've got to have enough time. Right. So 
because most people, and I have to harp on this because it's making me crazy, most people don't do employee engagement surveys effectively. Um, there are three types of, there are three outcomes that you get when you do it right. Okay. One is you get descriptive analytics. Ah, here is the state of the world, right? So you sure. get a description of the state of the world. Second, you get ah, uh, you get a predictive. If I don't do anything, this is what the future is going to look like. Interesting. Most people only do those two things, Kevin, and they miss the bestest part. And the okay. bestest part is the prescriptive outcome. So when you do your safety blogging mattering index, when you ask the 10 questions, you have an opportunity now to not only understand what the world is descriptive, understand how the world is going to continue if you don't change anything predictive, but now you can actually grab Power Your Tribe chapter eight and you can say, okay, what's the prescription for the, uh, just to use the metaphor, right, for the patient so that they can actually get engaged. Okay, interesting. So how do you actually work with a team? Do you guys actually physically show up for a few days or weeks? Or do you do it kind of online? Or, or how does it kind of work? Yes, yes. Okay, so we do three components. First, we have to assess, right? We have to figure out what the state of the world is. So the employee engagement survey, the leadership experience, you know, assessment, the emotional resilience assessment, whatever. We do a digital assessment so they can, so we can understand what the state of the world is because we don't know what it's like there. We just met them. Is it anonymously? If I fill out one of these engagement surveys as an employee, is it anonymous or I have to put my name and everything? Ah, no, anonymous is best. Okay. You're going to get the best data. Sure. Um, but we do like to recommend unique links for each uh, department because oh, we want to okay. understand the emotional experience of the sales guys sure. versus the operations guys versus the finance team. Got you. Yeah. Then you can say, ah, here's the emotional experience of all these different departments or divisions and then roll up, squish them all together. Here's the overall emotional experience of the company or the organization. Sense? Yeah, yeah, no, that's interesting, right? Okay, so so we assess. You, yeah, yeah okay, we keep assess. Going. Then from the assessment, we then create action plan, which is going to be some coaching. Maybe it's going to be our four different uh, workshops, you know, to create a smart tribe. It's going to be whatever. Maybe it's a sales and marketing intensive. Their sales aren't working, so we create the action plan. And then in the action plan, we actually figure out, okay, what are the success metrics? Because we measure like crazy. Sure. How are we going to know that this was worth doing, right? Yeah. Um, okay, we want 22% um, increased profit per employee. Great. I can make that happen. I just need to know what you want, you know? So we get very specific metrics. We create the action plan to make sure that we fulfill the metrics. And then uh, the third step is getting the ROI. We get the ROI. We kind of lather, rinse, repeat. Okay, what next ROI would we like to create? Okay, let's assess the state of the world now. Let's create the next action plan. Let's get the next level of ROI. Okay, when you say action plan, what types of stuff do you guys traditionally see that's maybe common that, that maybe leadership doesn't see is happening in their company that they can maybe start looking out for? Yes. Um, we find that anybody who is, because sometimes people look at the org chart and they go, oh, here's who the leadership team is. And they miss some of the key tribal cultural influencers. Okay. Like, for instance, if you have an office where people walk in a lot, the receptionist is a huge influencer. Right. 
that person should be in these deep learning workshops because they are helping craft your culture. You know, that's sure. really important. So first understanding who your tribal influencers are, making sure then that they have the neuroscience based leadership skills, um, change management skills, influence skills and teaming skills, because we find that usually two of those four skill sets are totally gone or nobody ever. Harvard did some research a while ago saying that people are generally managing people for 10 years before they ever get any proper leadership training. And it's like, oh, my God, what what has been going on for those 10 years? Yeah. Wow. Fascinating, actually. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's always some coaching and some workshops. Those are the things that are constant. And then, you know, webinars, whenever we do a workshop, there are eight micro learnings so that everybody in the company can learn that topic, even if they weren't in the workshop. And then two webinars, because we do need to use these tools in a bunch of different contexts to make them second nature. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, interesting. So walk me through then traditionally how long does it take to see some of this change start happening is it weeks is it months is it you know maybe a year or two how how uh, long does it take right because i think yes some people don't have the patience to wait that long yes my experience is you start seeing roi in 90 days okay you see a you see some whoa nelly you see some big changes in six months. In okay. a year, you're like, whoa, this is cool. And and it, it just see, it depends, Kevin, where the company starts, sure. you know? Yeah, um, but generally, we'll, we'll, we'll go into a company and they will have a fully functional, high-performing, super engaged, thank God it's Monday, you know, experience within one and a half to two-ish years. It just depends where they start. Interesting. You know? But yeah. do you find their employees will stick it out that long because they oh, yeah. know they're potentially things are trying to improve? Because you mentioned they, earlier about yeah. the best way to kind of recruit people is steal from other country or companies. So you kind of have uh, this good. problem, yeah. right? Potentially. Yes. Okay. So here's the thing. Going back to the safety belonging mattering index, right? The employee engagement. Yeah. Based on what people want most, let's just say that they want more of an experience of mattering, and that is a really good way to retain people. Because okay. even if people feel that they belong and they really love the tribe or they feel like they're really safe, they don't feel like – because, look, we have mortgages and kids sure. through college. If they don't feel like they're getting ahead, yeah, they're going to job jump. Sure. So, What um, about money in that? I, I know – sorry to interrupt, yeah. but like is money in, yeah. in one of that those factors too? Money is good – Growth is better okay. because growth implies sure. money. You know? Oh, yeah, I guess. Hey, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. So when they see, when they have an individual development plan, right. which is, okay, you're here and you could pursue one of these different paths and, you know, let's work together on the leadership skills that you need to gain. Oh, and we're going to put you in this, you know, one year leadership program. And they start to see the changes and the growth every 90 days. And they're like psyched. Right. Right. And a lot of our clients will also say, cause I, Kevin, I think it's very fair if you're going to invest in somebody to say, look, if you were, I know you're not going to, cause you'd be crazy too. But if you were to leave the company, you do need to pay part of this tuition back. Okay, interesting. Because that would be really lame, right? If the company invested yeah. all this energy and time in getting this person all these amazing new skills, and then they said, okay, thanks, see ya, bye, and they bailed. Okay, but how do you enforce that, though? 
So a lot of our clients, frankly, just, and this is happening more and more, when people are put through leadership development programs yeah. that are a big investment, um, it's, it's just an agreement, you know, that, that everybody signs. And, you okay. know, this will be removed from your final paycheck, right. you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And this is what it'll look like because we're investing in you. We want to know that you're investing in us because it's a collaboration. Right. We're all in this together. It's one big collaboration. No, that makes sense. It's just one of those things that's interesting, right? So so walk me through, you, you mentioned something that I've thought a lot about recently, this thing called emotional resilience. What exactly is it and how do you work with people to actually deal with that kind of thing? Yes. Okay. So for starters, uh, interesting stat from just a few months ago okay. from Centers for Creative Leadership. And what they found in their surveying of thousands of leaders is that 75%, 75% okay. of careers are derailed due to low emotional resilience. That means that a uh, person wasn't able to navigate growth and change. They weren't able to deal with challenging um, interpersonal uh, upset. They weren't able to uh, deal with conflict effectively. Okay. So it is it is our job really to ensure that our people can bounce back when there's an emotional upset. And first we have to look at the fact that 90% of our decisions, of our behaviors are driven, are dominated by our emotional brain. This okay. is from Stanford, Harvard, UCLA, Carnegie Mellon, MIT. Uh, and and so we are deeply emotional beings. And it's thank God we're past the phase where people say, well, you know, emotions don't have any place at work. Um, you know, emotions to a human are like wings to a bird. I mean, we can't experience the world without emotions. It's not possible to but, not have emotions. Uh, this yeah. might be off topic and you could tell me if it is or not. Huh. But I don't see a real difference anymore between work and personal life. I think a lot of times <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's one and the same. Like if you're truly yeah. passionate about what you do, whatever the career is, it's who you are. So how can you not be emotional about it? Yeah. Right? Well, yeah, you are emotional about it. So regardless of what anybody says. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless you just completely hate your job and you just check in nine to five or whatever your hours are. And you but don't that's have emotional to about... too. But that's emotional too. Yeah, I suppose it is, you I know? guess, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, it's fair like enough. Ducks, you know, I mean, it's not positive emotions necessarily, but yeah. Um, so what we do is, is first, you know, we have a good old assessment and everybody okay. can take it. If everybody just goes to power your tribe, can take the emotional resilience assessment. Okay. Um, and that helps us understand, okay, where am I? Where do I get stuck emotionally? Okay. Or, okay. Where do I get stuck? Okay. And, and it's different for we, everybody. Fair to say? Uh, yeah, okay. it is because okay. like some people, the first step is to learn how to release resistance. Some people ah, just okay. obsess about stuff that they aren't happy with. Okay. Right. And they put so much energy into resistance. Other people are like, you know what? I can't affect it. I'm going to change my attitude about it. Let me move on. You know, gotcha. so we have to learn how to release resistance. We have to learn how to increase rapport with ourselves okay. and to be able to get still 
and stop the constant chatter in our minds so that we can actually see things for what they are. We have to learn how to reframe and make new meaning. You know, nothing is either good or bad, only thinking makes it so. Shakespeare said that so long ago. So can we say, wow, we tanked last quarter. That sucks. We're all scared. You know, let's just curl up and die. Or do we say, wow, we tanked last quarter. What did we learn? Ah, shoot. We're out of touch with our customers. We're not making product release often enough. You know, we need to create a customer council. We need to do this and that and that. This is actually kind of exciting. We fell off the bus. We're going to get back on the bus. Let's do it. Right. So we can either be depressed and, you know, swirl or we can get back on it. Anchoring outcomes, you know, helping people actually stop looking at the problem and start looking at what they want to create. Okay. And shifting them into that. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, but how do you actually get people to to change that mindset, right? Because so many people, especially kind of people in the startup game, you can have highs and lows multiple times in before lunch, never mind in a week or a month or six months or a year, right? And it's the people that constantly pick themselves back up and figure it out again. But how do you work with people like that in a company that aren't necessarily kind of they're not really in charge necessarily of bringing new clients or, or whatnot, right? To kind of pick themselves back up and, and keep going with working with the company to move forward, right? Yeah. So so reframing um, can be done by anybody. And what's cool about it is for starters, we, we have to consent. Uh, that okay. way we stop resisting. Consent doesn't mean be accepting of. Consent means, wow, this is a bummer. Okay. Sure. You know, we're not going to deny it. And then we can say, okay, so what am I telling myself about this? Well, I'm telling myself that, you know, what stories am I making up? Because you've got to get those stories before you can change them. Well, I'm making up scary stories about how everyone's going to get fired and we'll never get through this and da 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 da. Okay. How does that make me feel? Okay. Even worse. Sure. All right. So great. Now, what would I like? How can I, um, let me look at those stories and say, are they true? Are they absolutely true? Are they absolutely true all the time? Has anybody else had this challenge before and survived through it? Well, yeah, actually, lots of companies have. And then we want to ask the outcome frame questions. Okay. What would I like? Because I get that, that, there, that there's a problem. So what would you like? Positive outcome you can create and maintain. I want to, um, you know, message to the team the upside of this particular challenge. Okay, great. What will having that do for you? We'll all feel more powerful. The team will get reengaged. We'll get some new ideas. We'll get out of the muck, etc. Okay, cool. We'll feel powerful again, maybe. How will you know when you have it? When we have an action plan, or when at least we're telling new stories. Sure. About what we learned from here and how we can um, move forward. Great. Okay. When, where, with whom do I want it? I want it with my team. I want it uh, by this afternoon. And um, that's what I need to figure out. And then what a value might I risk or lose? Well, I'm going to have to stop feeling like a victim. Well, the team's going to have to stop feeling like a victim. You know, we're going to have to uh, actually let go of, oh, the bad boss story that we have. And then what are our next steps? So as we start to shift from problem focus or blame focus to outcome focus, we start to then shift our emotional state. And if you look at any of Dr. Uh, David Hawkins, uh, PhD, MD, emotions actually have energy. They affect the magnetic field around our body. Also, Dr. Sinatra, a cardiologist, has measured this as well. So has ions and heart math. So for 
really uh, reputable individuals or institutions. And we can notice the, you've noticed this before, I'm sure you have, where you're in like a down mood and you don't have very much energy. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you're in a up mood and you feel more energized, yep. right? Yep. Because emotions actually have energy. You can measure with uh, uh, the, the magnetic field of the body radiating. You've been with somebody who's angry or some stranger you see at line at Starbucks and they're raging and you're like, whoa, ow, I need to get away from that person. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So we're actually putting out our, our magnetic field around our body is adjusting based on our energy and it's affecting the people around us. Sure. So mm-hmm. as leaders, it's really our job to reframe, to shift our state and to help our people shift their state as well. No, I, I 100% agree. And again, I'm this could be selfish, but I find I'm the happiest I guess personally and professionally, again, I think they're kind of the same thing, when I'm learning new stuff all the time. And I'm sure it's different for everybody, but for me, I definitely can tell my mood will be kind of higher or lower based on how much I've been kind of learning in a given few days or, or few weeks. Have you found yeah. that quite a bit? Or or is it something kind of – I get learning something new isn't a simple thing, but it's everybody kind of has something that motivates them to, to kind of make their mood – better or worse have you found that yes i found that we have to know what gives us energy so learning gives you energy okay um what what takes energy away driving in traffic filing doing your expense reports whatever takes energy away um you know dealing with negative people right so it's important for us to understand where our energy should be allocated and what gives us energy what takes energy away and then the tricky one tricky one, Kevin, is where we have um, kind of internal conflict and we have mixed. So for instance, you might have young kids, young, young kid, that that's like maybe 50% of the time it gives you energy and maybe 50% of the time it takes energy away. So, you know, we just have to kind of understand which ones are mixed and then modulate those and moderate those so that we don't have internal conflict around them. Sure. But we have to know because, I mean, for you, right, learning, boom, gives you lots of energy. Work For some people, working out gives them tons of energy sure. um, and helps them, you know, feel positive. And then um, for other people, um, creating, creating really gives them a lot of energy. Okay. So just, you know, connecting with people gives them lots of energy. So we just have to learn for us what gives you lots of energy. And then on those days when you need lots of energy, right? Do yeah. one of those things okay, and then watch out for the ones that drain your energy and do all you can to remove them from your life. Sure. So is it kind of a little bit of a trial and error on yourself <laughs> to figure out what that is for you or what both sides are for you? That's the increasing rapport with yourself stuff that we talk about in sure. chapter four of, of Power Your Tribe. Okay. And also in there, we have to get really present to what gets us most stuck and um, – we talk about organismic rights okay. in in this chapter four, and what's cool about this is this, this is some work from uh, Wilhelm Reich, and what he found was that there are a number of rights that we all have as a human being that are kind of baked in by three years old. Okay, interesting. And our little baby brain, right, that isn't fully formed yet at three years old, observes the world and makes decisions. And that then affects 
our whole adult life. Check this out. So the org writes, and everybody listening, just maybe rate yourself zero to five, where five is, I've totally got this. Okay. And zero was like, whoops, I don't have that at all. <laughs> um, and here's the thing. With each of these, as you learn to become more emotionally resilient, and there's a bunch of tools in Power Your Tribe, you actually increase your org rights. So the first one is the right to exist. Okay. So if you ever um, kind of avoid conflict, you know, get small, disappear when things are uncomfortable, intellectualize. You know, I have some friends where like they go way into their intellect whenever there's any emotions or there's some uncomfortable stuff. Okay. Um, so notice how comfortable or how okay it is for you to actually be here and take up space and be seen. Okay. That's okay. right to exist. Okay. Next is right to have needs. Is it okay to have needs? Do you often um, self-sacrifice? Do you repeatedly take one for the team? Do you don't even do you not even know what your needs are? Are you okay to ask for what you need and ensure that you actually get it? So right to have needs. Okay. That's another really big one where we see people get themselves in trouble and they get really angry or upset just because they weren't knowing what their needs were and making them, you know, making sure that they got met. Next, right to take action. Okay. We all know somebody who constantly procrastinates, who's uncomfortable <laughs> taking action, who doesn't want to, you know, make commitments, right? They have a low right to take action. They can work on that. Next is consequences, right to have consequences for your actions. So maybe they take action, but if it goes south, it's like, well, that's Bob's fault or Susan uh, said that, okay. you know, the, the kind of finger pointing. That's someone who doesn't have the right to have consequences for their actions or has told themselves that. And then last is right to love and be loved. It's easy to love, but not everybody can let the love in. It is sure. a combo pack, sure. love and be loved. So as we start to understand this, then we can start to realize, combine this with your experience, emotional experience of safety, belonging, or mattering, and what you need most of right now. And that will explain why you get upset. Sure, but couldn't you basically be almost either side of that spectrum in any one of those five points throughout your lifetime or at least within months of each other? Because I think there's sometimes where you're like, I really want to get involved in that conflict and, and I want to, you know, maybe take one for the team or no, I want to stand up and say like, no, that is somebody else's fault and I can prove why. Like, it sounds like it's a little bit cherry picking what you want to do. Have you found that or what's your thoughts on that? Uh, okay. Thank you. Um, I would first say if a person looks at, if they just look at their life overall and that okay. does include work. Okay. So as you said before, the, the world isn't separated anymore. It's not home life, work life. It is kind of squished together, especially mobile, mobile phones changed mm -hmm. that. Right? Mm -hmm. Email and mobile Very phones much pretty so. much changed yep. all that, right? It's all yep. one big blob. So look at when you get most upset. Okay. When you feel most uncomfortable. Okay. What's going on? What do you do most repeatedly? Uh, do you self-sacrifice okay. most often? What's your biggest whopper or two? Got you. You know, like I'll meet sometimes people and they'll say, oh, I'm not a hugger. And I'll go, ah, low right to have, have a low right to love and be loved. Huh. You know? Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. If, if people are going to get emotional, I'm going to leave. Ah, low right to love and be loved. You know? Um, so 
we can help people and we have a whole table that tells you exactly how to help yourself with these rights, et cetera. But we want to start to understand back to what you said before, understanding who we are. Sure. We want to start to understand who we are. So we understand why we do what we do. Yeah. So we can yeah. then shift our state and have frankly a happier experience. Sure. But then that must be at the core of what you guys do then, because if you can figure out what makes each one of your employees or teams work, then yeah. you can figure out what you need to to do and not do to make everybody better and make obviously therefore it makes the company better. Is that yep. kind of the a simple a very simplified version of what we're talking about? Yes, and it's even more powerful when the people figure it out for themselves. Got you. I see. And they figured out for themselves. And so we were working with Amazon. Okay. Um, we sure. were working with Amazon a few months ago, and and we had this workshop for like sixty five people. And wow. this one guy stood up towards you're, the you're end. You're in person, just so I. Yeah. Okay. Thank okay. you. I'm yeah, in person. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We okay. do our workshops in person. Webinars, okay. you know, digitally, coaching gotcha. digitally. Gotcha. But we do this workshop. We're working on organismic rights at one point, and this guy, this big burly kind of macho um, warehouse guy. Sure. And he stands up and he says, you know what? I just got that I have a really low right to have needs. Interesting. And hey, everybody, this is why I have this behavior and that behavior. And my go-to is this. And you know, and you know what? I want to ask all of your support to check in with me sometimes, especially when I go in critter state, which is that fight, flight, freeze. Sure. And say to me, hey, what do you need? Interesting. What do you need right now? Because I'm going to need to start asking myself what I need right now because I never have actually thought of it. Interesting. And that's pretty uh, like like good on him for, for doing that. But I, I think that's being very vulnerable in front of your coworkers, which I think a lot of people don't do. Is that fair to say? Have you experienced that? Um, I find the workplace is changing. Okay. Um, and we are being far more human, bringing our humanity to the workplace because, you know, what, our humanity is in the workplace anyway. Sure. Because it's – I've always found it weird <laughs> – well, maybe weird's the wrong term for it. But I've, I've always found it interesting when you, you've known somebody and you've worked with somebody for years and then, I don't know, at the Christmas party or, or beer night or whatever, outside of the office you have some event where your coworkers are there – and they're a totally different person. I've always found that really, really fascinating. Yeah. Like, I don't even know who you are. And it's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. And and is it that they're a totally different person? Or is it that you see like this whole aspect of their life, hobby, whatever, they have six foster kids, you know, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Do you learn something and you go, wow, that tells me a lot about who you are. Totally. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Yeah, it's totally interesting. And that's what we want to do in the workplace. We want to bring multidimensionality because we aren't working robots. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. aren't resources. We're humans. Okay. So that's a big wave that's really starting now. And thank God unemployment is so low because it's forcing us sure. all as leaders to bring more humanity to the workplace. Interesting. And, and I think, okay – this leads me to my next question to you then. Mm. Unemployment's so low, but there is so much kind of negativity and terrible things happening in, in the world right now, in the media. There's obviously good things happening, but I think 
if you kind of objectively look at it, there's been so many kind of terrible things happening that affect people, I think, a lot more than the positivity that's actually happening in the world right now. So how do you as kind of a leader or a company or an employee of a company maybe not take some of that and the negativity and actually bring it into your life and kind of avoid it? I, I'm not trying to be kind of mean about it because obviously like some of the stuff that's been happening recently is terrible and it, it's really, really sad. But how do you kind of deal with that, right? So we all get to choose where we put our attention. Okay. Um, I stopped reading the news many years ago because I found that it wasn't adding value. Yeah, 100% you know? agree. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I, well, that's not fair. I read the tech news, to be fair. I just don't read okay. kind of like the the world news. Obviously, you find out about events that are happening, but I just read kind of the tech news religiously right. now, not anything else. So, yes, I agree. Yeah. It doesn't add value. Doesn't yeah. it doesn't improve your life. You know, it it's makes just it gonna worse, drag I think. Yeah. Yeah. But but some people, you know, like I have a friend who doesn't like our president, Trump. Okay. Sure. And um, you know, she, she she seriously, seriously gets really upset about it. And I've talked with her many times saying, you know, that's okay if that's the experience that you want. Okay, sure. Would you like a different experience around that? You know, yeah. and so we all get to choose what we focus on and what we obsess about. Right. This is why when we learn at work emotional resilience tools, then we can go, oh, my gosh, I'm obsessing about something that I can't directly affect. But what I can directly control is my internal state. Sure. It's pretty much the only thing you can control. Right. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, if you want to feel powerless, yeah, read the news. You know, if you want to feel powerful, learn how to negotiate or excuse me, navigate your emotions okay. and not and I'm not saying like shine them on or smush them down. You know, emotional resilience is like, wow, I was really hurt by what he said. Huh. What was hurtful about it? What story did I make up about that? What was familiar about that? You know, how do I want to reframe that? Well, it's actually cool that he pointed that out because I don't really want to behave that way anymore, or I don't really want to be triggered when people say hurtful things, you know, whatever. Sure. Uh, you turn a negative into a positive. Basically. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. by doing inquiry by here's the number one thing. If, if the only thing people take away from listening to our time together is the importance of curiosity, sure. then that will have been worth it because that's where we get in trouble. Whenever we have any sort of upset, any sort of judgment, whatever, any sort of fear, attachment, et cetera, if we can step back and just get curious, huh, what am I deciding right now about sure. myself, about the world? You know, what would I like to decide? What would be more useful for me to decide? We want to really help ourselves get curious so that we aren't stuck. Sure. But then do you find people just don't think about these things very much like they just it just doesn't seem to it's like they don't spend mental time thinking about this stuff or anything that affects them kind of negative or positively they just kind of almost coast through life sometimes I, I find and you're just like well don't you think about this or don't you think about that and it's like no and you're like I don't understand how you don't think about that have you found that or I don't really know yeah. what I'm trying to maybe necessarily get at directly, but I, I just find sometimes people just don't seem to care either way either. And it's like, how do you not 
have an opinion or thought on it, right? Well, I think it's a couple of things. Either they were raised in a household where, hey, you know what? We're victims of circumstance. Ah, okay. We have no power, you know, so between zero and seven, which is when our experience of the world is pretty much coded, unless we do personal work like we're talking about right now to shift our experience of the world. Interesting. they, they do just coast, as you said, and stick with that original operating system. And they never upgrade. I got you. They don't upgrade. Right. Doing this sort of work helps us upgrade, helps us say, you know what? You know, and back to Shakespeare, you know, reality is what you say it is. Sure. What would you like reality to be? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The world. It's such a dangerous, scary place. Blah, blah, blah. All this bad stuff is happening. Or, wow, the world. What a fascinating time to be alive. Look at all these possibilities. Look at how beautiful the natural world is. Look at how people are discovering all these cool things. Look at how um, some countries are finally learning to how to how to collaborate. Look at how much opportunity and choice we have. We have a lot of choice. Every moment we get to choose how we want to feel. We get to choose the stories that we want to tell ourselves, either disempowering or empowering stories. We get to choose how we want to craft our life, especially living, you know, in in uh, whatever we want to call this, the first world. You know, we're not in a developing nation where we spend all day just trying to get clean water. You know? Yeah. I mean, this is pretty amazing how well, much it, choice one well, the crazy thing too that we have access to with the internet is a global market sure there's certain countries that don't have the internet yet but so much of the world yeah. has the internet and that unleashes new customers for you in other parts of the world that you will maybe never even visit and it's wild how you meet these startups that are maybe from some small town in America or a big town, it doesn't really matter, but their biggest client base is in another part of the world in some <laughs> other continent. And that that's pretty new. 20 or 30 years ago, yeah, that, that wouldn't was happen. basically <laughs> not possible. Like it, it was, but it, it just nowadays, you and I could come up with an idea right now. We could launch something in a few days and get start getting customers in all over the world for little to no money, right? Where it's never been easier to do that. It's so awesome. Right? Which is amazing, right? And and that's I I think something that I hope people take away from, you know, the show, right? Because talking to people like yourself that are working with people to improve themselves and make it better and companies and and kind of talking about the ups and downs of this stuff, right, is is quite fascinating and just getting people to think about themselves and where they work and their kind of life, right? It's not really about yeah. career anymore. I think it's about life. But we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the show, but I really want to cover, you wrote a couple books. You've mentioned one a couple of times throughout the show, but do you want to talk about each book and what exactly you cover in those uh, books? Yes. Okay. So Power Your Tribe. Power Your Mm -hmm. Tribe, Um, that is about emotional resilience. 
And okay. it shows a number of case studies of different business you know, challenges and all these different tools. And it's a super practical tools, tools, tools. Gotcha. And you start using them and you, you can bounce back or shift or lead your team in whole new ways. And then the, the other one is um, Smart Tribes. Okay. And Smart Tribes is really kind of how to set up a business so that people are operating more in what we call the smart state where their reptilian brain, you know, keeping them not dead, their mammalian brain, keeping them kind of emotionally connected and emotionally safe, and their prefrontal cortex, helping them have visions, collaboration, um, seeing, uh, figuring out goals, figuring out strategies, how to get all those parts of the brain really working together versus, you know, being in fight, flight, freeze, you know, and being in lockdown and being limited. Um, And my very first book, which was long time ago 2007 is rules for renegades which is really a uh, kind of a manifesto if you will for entrepreneurs you know <laughs> yeah weird places i learned about entrepreneurship and business um so those are um so guys um go to work with sti smart tribes institute work with sti.com and you can join our uh, list and we'll send you a digest uh, of really cool tools and stuff every couple weeks. And um, you can learn how to use this stuff. There's a bunch of videos also on both uh, smarttribesinstitute.com and poweryourtribe.com. And if nothing else, you know, use the videos on poweryourtribe.com and have a little lunch and learns with your team so everybody can learn to be emotionally resilient together. Sure. Well, and you guys also have... Some, I was looking at some of the infographics that you guys talk yeah. about or have. Do you want to talk about some of that stuff and why you think those are important? Because I think there are quick little things to just look at and make you think about different things. Is that kind of why you guys did those? Yes, yes. So we do a fair amount of infographics so that people can very can have a, a picture, if you will, that shows them how to become emotionally resilient. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And so just for – give us a couple examples of stuff you kind of talk about or are going to be talking about of those infographics. Yes. So we talk about reframing. Okay. You know, here's like the, here are the steps to reframing. Here are the steps uh, of determining your org rights we talked about today. Yeah. Um, here are steps to um, maneuver your consciousness when you're really mad or really upset about something. You're like, sure. I don't want to do an outcome frame. I want to be mad. You know, <laughs> so, you know, how you can do that and then you can shift your state. It takes about 12 minutes to shift your state on, in that case if it's like a really, really gnarly state. Um, we show all the different ways, kind of the seven steps to become emotionally resilient. So all these goodies come from, yeah, being part of our tribe and we distribute these goodies on a regular basis. Okay. Um, well, let's close the show again with mentioning where people can get more information about all the stuff we talked about and uh, reach out to you. Yes. So um, you can go to work with sti.com. If you want to learn about our workshops and good stuff like that, smarttribesinstitute.com. And then the videos that I mentioned uh, for emotional resilience and the emotional resilience uh, assessment, poweryourtribe.com. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay.
Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com. And keep building the future.